Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Hi there. My guest today is Dr. Maggie Landis, and Maggie is not only a board-certified physician, she's also a public health nutritionist and an anti-diet advocate. And she has been having conversations around the importance of providing weight-neutral care and breaking up with the BMI. And she's been one of my favorite people to connect with on social media to just be getting the message out that we need to be changing the conversation about health and weight and nutrition, not just with ourselves, but also with our healthcare practitioners. So my conversation today with Maggie is all about why we need to be changing that conversation and how we as individuals can maybe feel a bit more empowered going into these healthcare conversations and advocating for weight neutral care. So have a listen, and I know that you'll be as inspired by Dr. Maggie as I am, and I'd love to hear if you have any questions about this episode. Hi, Maggie. Welcome to the Midlife Feast. Well, thank you, Jen, for having me. I'm thrilled. (laughs) So I've been really excited about this conversation because I was uh, recently on your podcast, and we had a really great conversation. So I feel like this is like part two of what was, you know, a, a fun conversation that was talking about everything to do with weight neutral care in midlife, but weight neutral care is something that you're pretty passionate about. We'll get into that in a minute, but I think it's it for, for people who are working on this new relationship with their bodies and trying to move forward in a world where they're not always trying to change their body and make it smaller. The healthcare conversations are often the hardest and most emotional. So I definitely want to dive into that with you. Oh, well, that's that's what I deal with all the time because it is a major problem. I mean, really, the, the healthcare system is fraught with weight stigma and um, it's extremely confrontational, especially if you're in a large body. And um, it's, you know, my whole platform is that it's, we're not helping our patients that way. And frankly, we may even be doing harm. So yeah, I'm glad you want to talk yeah. about this because this is... Okay. Well, before we get into all that, because I feel like that's going to be an awesome conversation, but tell us, how did you as a medical doctor and a public health nutritionist, I'm not sure what came first, but um, how did you get into the business of anti-diet and advocating for weight neutral care? Right. Well, I will make this as succinct as possible, but I am 40. Am I 45? I'm 45 years old. I had to calculate whether I was 45 or 46. I can't remember. (laughs) And so I grew up, I say that because I grew up in like the eighties and nineties and dieted myself, never particularly had a quote, you know, weight problem, but just dieted because that's what you do. Cause that's what it's like normative. So I grew up thinking that managing my size was just a, a part of like, that's just how you, that's life. Right. Always wanted to be a doctor, went to medical school. Um, it, it, the, you know, of course we're going to talk about this, but like the training doctors get is very weight centered. The, you know, a lot of the literature we use is weight biased. There's just so much in there, but you don't realize it because you just, you know, I mean, you're in medical school, you have to, um, you have so much to learn that if some 
professor tells you, hey, you know, fat makes you have heart attacks and die, then you just say, okay. And then you tuck that in your brain and you keep going because you don't have time to like scrutinize everything. Well, so fast forward five years ago, I was diagnosed with lymphoma and I'm, I'm recovered and everything, but that's not the point. The point is I decided when I was like kind of faced with my own mortality, I'm going to figure this out. There is a perfect human diet out there and I'm going to find it. I am smart enough. I'm capable. And now I have six months off work while I'm getting chemotherapy. So <laughs> let's do it. And lo and behold, long story short, there is no singular perfect human diet, no matter how smart and how much time you have to research it. Um, so then I thought, okay, how are we like supposed to eat? Right. So I went, this is what mm -hmm. I did. I went back to grad school at that time. Cause I was like, I'll just get a master's degree in nutrition because they'll tell me how to eat. <laughs> Isn't that so dumb? <laughs> this is it. But see, this is my diet culture brain thinking this, right? So I go back to grad school and shocker, the entire education there is diet culture focused as well. And I thought, oh no, this is just, this can't be right. I mean, there's no way that this is the best information we have. So I did a lot of, you know, honestly, sort of independent education. I read books. I did. And I mean, like read like studies and stuff, not just like scrolled Instagram all day and tried to figure you mean this that out. You an expert? There's going to be a it, lot of disappointed well, people. Well, there is. I, there's a lot of armchair Instagramming these days. Um, but that's how I sort of came to find this whole, I don't want to say underworld, but there's so much information, robust information about the anti-diet or non-diet approach to health. And once you see that, you can't like unsee it. So yeah. that's when I said, okay, I need to not only figure this out for myself as an individual person, this needs to really be how we approach patients and clients. And so then I just, then I got crazy and started doing all this. <laughs> But it was only, but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, had I not had that like sort of forced cancer sabbatical, whatever you want to call it, I think I would probably still be peddling diet culture and going on and off and on and off diets myself. Um, I just would. Yeah. Um, and then the interesting yeah. part in relation to what you do is uh, I, you know, basically went into chemical menopause like instantly. Like I went through menopause in like two weeks because of my chemotherapy. And so now I'm dealing with all that sort of ish personal health issues at a probably decade earlier than I would have otherwise. Um, so it's sort of interesting to compound that with everything else, but you know, it, we just believe dieting is the only way because it's the only way we've ever been told or taught or seen represented. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I hear so much of that. You know, in, in my training as a dietitian and in my training as a naturopathic doctor, it was assumed, like it was the given that everything was better if people could fit into this size range, body shape. And there yeah, really we don't even question it, right? Discussion. I'm yeah. questioning. And we never really discussed the well, what are the side effects of what people have to do to get there? What right. are the side effects of doing that over and over and over again? What are the side effects of teaching people not to listen and trust to their, their bodies? Yeah. Like there was absolutely never 
any question about that in any part of my training. It was just, well, if they're not at a healthy, and I'm using air quotes, healthy weight and size, that's where you start. Yeah. You know, and so not only was it like the end goal, but it was the starting point. And it was often the only thing that I, you know, people would come to me and it's what they wanted. And it was often, you know, the obvious, again, air quotes, um, choice when it came to giving people what we thought was health advice. So yeah, I really, I echo that so much. You had this experience and you realize that like the house of cards was crumbling. Right. And, and then what? Cause I remember my thought was, oh shit, what do I, what do I do now? <laughs> like, this is all I've known personally and professionally. How, how do I go about being a dietitian and a naturopath if I'm not teaching people how to lose weight? Like it was really like, what have I learned? And I have to unlearn it all. And I have to start all over again. Like, what did you do with all that information? Well, you know, and that's exactly right. It And, and uh, to be totally transparent, I have all but essentially left my clinical practice now. I've been a, a, a physician for 20 years, but it is really hard to make these changes, like to try to change the culture from the inside while you're doing it. Because there's just, there's no space. I mean, the and, and I'm not here to throw doctors and dietitians and people under the bus. We are, you know, the, the practice environment's really um, a disservice to us because we have so little time with patients. We have so, like, this real, like, very limited interaction and we've got a million things we've got to do and the amount of documentation that's required. It's just like... I don't know. I, I felt like I, I guess I probably could make change from the inside out, but I knew it would take 20 times longer, maybe a hundred times longer. So, um, I basically decided to pursue this, uh, business or, you know, sort of educational platform to try to change the culture in healthcare. Um, cause I outside of practicing have space to do that. Yeah. 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 And oh my goodness, is it ever needed? So let's talk a little bit about healthcare interactions because, you know, we, we all need primary care providers, whether that's a family doctor a nurse practitioner, a naturopathic doctor, whoever it is in your circle of care, we know we need those people as part of our team. But if those healthcare providers aren't kind of, you know, in tune or tuned in to what a weight neutral approach is. Many have never heard of it, have no idea what health at every size is, have no idea what intuitive eating is. It can be really intimidating as a patient to go in and say, I am pursuing this weight neutral approach. I'm learning, you know, to to eat again. I'm learning a new relationship with food and I want your support. I need your support. Um, and so one of the first interactions that a lot of people have is being weighed at the doctor's office, mm-hmm. either by the doctor or the nurse or whoever. And how, I mean, that's intimidating to go in and say, I don't want that. But what language or what tools can, you know, people have to maybe just, you know, neutralize some of those conversations before they get started so that they don't feel like they're going in to an argument or antagonistically? Right. Well, and I, and I don't recommend that because, you know, being like aggressive with the staff and kind of a disrespectful patient is not going to get you very far. So I don't ever advise that, but I want to say first that people may not realize the people listening to this right now may not realize there's actually a very limited number of clinical conditions that require your weight, like at every touch point. 
very yeah. limited. And it's and it's like kind of the exception to the rule. I mean, if you're on dialysis, you're getting chemotherapy, you're having general anesthesia, like stuff like that. But the typical visit for a physical, for acne, for joint pain, for stomach problems, for anxiety, whatever the general problem is, you don't actually, in adults, need to be weighed. There's this belief that if they're going to write a prescription, they need it. But that's actually not true in adults. That's only true in children. Um, you give the same medication for whatever to adults, no matter what size they are. Um, it's usually based, it's usually there's a standard dose for everybody, or it's based on a metric. Like you get a different amount of blood pressure medicine, depending on how high your blood pressure is, but it has nothing to do with whether you're big or little or whatever. Right. So no, just have that in your back pocket, knowing that when you go in, like you, if they are want to weigh you, there needs to be a reason. I'm just a believer of not like getting information for no reason. I mean, yeah. that drove me nuts when I was in the hospital. Like, you know, I was in the hospital quite a bit when I was sick and they draw labs every day, every single day. And I'm like, are you going to do something with this result? Like today? Like, do you really think my sodium from yesterday to today has changed that much? Because I'm already anemic and here you are just drawing blood because you just have like a standing lab order, you know, just that as an example, I just don't like that kind of stuff. I feel like every time you're collecting information as a provider, and you know this, Jen, you have to have a, like, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. If it's high, what are you going to do with it? If it's low, what are you going to do with it? If, if the answer is nothing, then who cares? Then you don't need to mess with it. So that's my point is the weight is one of those sort of, it doesn't matter because, okay, if you weigh this or you weigh this or you weigh this, it makes no difference on the impact today. You yeah. know? And it's not a proxy for health. Like, that's the thing. Oh, right? my is that, gosh. Not you know, at all. Yeah. How many times have people told me stories of going in, getting weighed, and the reason that they went into the office or to see their healthcare provider was for, you know, let's just say it's acne or something, you know, and then the the person that they're seeing looks at, looks at their chart, talks a bit about the acne, and then comments on their weight like it's relevant to the concern. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and then and they, so, they, they come out of the visit with a referral to like a bariatric surgery. I mean, it's crazy how far they take it when that wasn't even the, like the chief complaint or the concern, you know? Yeah. That's weight bias. Is, <laughs> I was just about to say that. I would say, this is a good point to actually talk about how, you know, that weight bias is at play, but also how, you know, people will feel the stigma from that and will not seek care when they really need it for fear of that weight bias and stigma showing up in their relationship with their healthcare provider. Right. Yes. So and, that's a really important thing. Well, it's, and then it's a cycle that kind of begets itself because what happens, you know, this is the public health part of me talking, which is not exactly the answer to your question, but on a bigger scale, like a population scale, what happens is these patients come in get weight stigmatized because they come in with a sinus infection. They come out with a referral to bariatric surgery and they don't want to go back. They are crying in their cars on the way home. They're like, forget it. I'm not going to the doctor unless I'm literally at death's doorstep. Um, so they don't go, they don't get mammograms. They don't get pap smears. They don't get their blood pressure checked. They don't get any sort of preventative health care. And then what happens is let's say 10 years later, 20 years later, I don't know how many years later, then they do have a problem. Then they show up with, let's say, diabetes. And then we, the medical community, says, look, all the fat people got diabetes. We told you. And then we publish a study that says fat people get diabetes and don't account for the fact that 
maybe because we drove them out of the healthcare system altogether, they did, they got no support and no preventative care to prevent the problem. Then we publish a paper and we use that to like beat the head of all the new patients coming in for sinus infections and say, look, uh, I know you came for sinus infection, but if you don't lose all this weight, you're going to get diabetes. Cause we published a paper that says fat people get diabetes. Like, and I'm, I'm being exaggerating, but, but that's really what happens. And then the cycle just keeps going and going and going. So yeah. Yeah. Adv- and I, I hate that patients have to advocate like this hard for themselves. You know, I, I wish I didn't have to give you know, my clients and these patients like scripts for what to say, because, uh, but I, you know, you kind of do at this point, the culture is still, you're, if you find a health at every size, aligned doctor, do whatever you can to stay with them because that is a diamond in the rough. Um, yeah, but absolutely. yeah, approach the whole thing with like, I'm, I would like, well, first of all, you can talk to the doctor before you get weighed or the provider. Like you don't need to be weighed in the hallway between the waiting room and the exam room, which is typically how it's done, at least in the United States, that's how it's done. Um, That person who's doing that is usually an MA or somebody who has no clinical sort of knowledge set. They're just doing a task. They're told to take the patients, put them on the scale, put them in the room. You can have a more sophisticated conversation with the provider and decide, you know, essentially it falls under informed consent. The whole thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I had to summarize this, like everything that happens to you in a clinical setting requires your consent period. And that includes getting on the scale. And, you know, people say stuff to me, they're like, but my doctor forces me on the scale. I said, forces you or bullies you on the scale because Mm -hmm. forces you as they like physically pick you up and put you on the scale, which I doubt is what is happening, but they may be, shaming you and saying stuff to you that makes you feel so bad that then you, you get on the scale. That's different that we handle those things differently. Okay. Um, because you deserve to have a sort of risk benefit. Everything we do is like this really, really super quick risk benefit check in our brains. Like everything has a risk. Everything has some sort of benefit. Like we're just kind of measuring those and deciding whether we proceed. And with little tiny things, we do it so fast, we don't even realize that we're making that decision. But that's the decision you're essentially making on the scale. So, you know, to kind of slow that thought process down, if you're going into the doctor for a sinus infection and you have a history of an eating disorder, I would say the risk of getting on the scale outweighs the benefit. All right. Now, there may be other situations where there is more of a benefit. And then you can start employing some of the other Techniques like standing backwards on the scale, asking them to cross it out on your discharge papers, because usually it's like printed at the top of the discharge papers. I mean, if it legitimately needs to happen, it may need to happen. And there are, I'm not saying no patient ever needs to be weighed. I I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. But um, it doesn't have to be the focus of every clinical encounter. Because I just, it is such a distraction. And you know, I'm just going to repeat this because I, I think it's important. I'm not blaming even necessarily the doctors or the providers. We are trained to do this. This is what we believe to be the best thing to do. And we're doing it because we think somehow in this warped education that it's protecting our patients and and managing their health. Um, and that's just like a big misunderstanding. Yeah. Frankly, you know. 
So what about those situations where it really is clinically relevant? Um, you know, situations that come to mind would be like medication dosages for things like, you know, chemotherapy or dialysis or surgery. And, and in those situations, you know, oftentimes I think the patients still don't want to see the number because again, if they have an eating of a, hi- uh, a history of an eating disorder or whether or not they're just trying to move out of that weight centric kind of thought process in their own mind, can they ask not to see that number? Can they still ask for some participation in, you know, trying not to make that the focus of their care? Right. Well, sure, you certainly can. Um, and if you have kind of a good reason for that, because you are like have a history of an eating disorder or this disordered uh, thoughts about your body image or whatever, that's really a problem for you. I think that's, I mean, they, if they're listening to you, they should know that. Um, now I will say there's a couple situations like, okay, so for example, when I was in the hospital, you know, there's this big like board on the wall that has like the patient patient's name, room number, nurse, whatever. And your weight is big on that wall because in case of an emergency and all these people come into your room, everybody needs to know your weight immediately to dose the medications for a resuscitation. Okay. But now, and, and let me tell you when I was getting my chemo and I was like on like diet brain, I didn't care that it was on the wall. Cause I figured that was fine. And plus I was the skinniest I'd ever been because I had cancer. I mean, sure. Why not show it off? <laughs> but, um, the, uh, you know what I could have done, like it, thinking back, like had I been in this anti-diet framework and had to go through that experience, I think I would ask, could they like tape a piece of paper or put like a post-it note over that that says patient's weight? And then like, okay, if it's an emergency and I'm unconscious, they can pull the post-it note down. Everybody in the room can see it and I'm unconscious and I won't, I'll be fine. You know, if they're working on saving my life, you know, and the same thing that happens in operating rooms too. Yeah. And that happens in operating rooms too. Is that what you're about to ask? No, no, no. But yeah, but it's the same, I think the same thing could happen like in surgery, it is important that the weight is known and that's a legitimate thing for the anesthesiologist and for people giving blood products and stuff. But, um, like it doesn't have to be, you don't need to know it. I mean, the patient isn't the one doing those things. So I think, um, just asking them like, could, could you just make it not visible? Could you put it behind my head so I can't see it? Could you put a sticky note over it until it's needed? Could you, I mean, like, you know, and just asking um that it's really problematic for you to to know that and then in your your regular clinic visits just tell them you want to stand on the scale backwards and you don't want to see it and then if they could black it out on the after visit summary that's usually sufficient you know and i'm just remembering someone had told me um about a situation where they were going into a procedure and the, uh, the pre-op nurse wanted to weigh them. And they actually thought on the spot, which I thought was really clever to say, you know, the last time that I was weighed should be on my chart and my body hasn't substantially changed since then. Could you use that, you know, reference? And they were able to do that. So, you know, I think that's another way that, you know, if your body hasn't changed much, um, since your last recorded weight that, you know, that should be sufficient. Cause for most, you know, adults, they, they would have a good sense of that, I think. Right. Yeah. And if, especially if it's recent in time, I mean, theoretically, if you have a pre-op appointment, it's because within the last probably two or three weeks, you saw a provider for the decision to have surgery. So, you know, now if it's like two years ago, I think you probably do need well, to be that weighed, depends but, where you live. Yeah. I think some yeah. of our listeners in Canada might relate more to the two years than two to three weeks. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, that's very reasonable. That's very reasonable. Um, and in fact, you could even like, if you know, you could even do that. I'm thinking about that. You could even do that at a regular clinic visit. Like, let's just say the, you go in for your sinus infection and they're like, we need your weight. Well, you don't really need my weight. I have trouble seeing this and I don't think it's going to be necessary. I'd like to talk to the doctor first. And if this confrontation continues and you're comfortable with it, you could just like give them a number. Like yeah. you're, like you said, your last known weight. And if it's off by however many dozens of pounds, who cares? Like, like it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it doesn't even matter if you have a sinus infection. So just to yeah. appease them. Um, but yeah, it really, I just wish that the more providers understood how much harm was being done. Like it's not only yeah. like I just, like I said, it's not. And, and here's the, the other flip side of this coin is now clearly the worst is it people in larger bodies. They have to contend with more weight stigma, more judgment, more, more adverse problems. However, the number of people I have talked to personally who had eating disorders went to a doctor, got weighed for their stupid sinus infection or whatever, and um, were congratulated on losing weight or having a shrinking body or a quote, you know, small body or whatever. And they literally had an eating disorder and nobody asked them why they were losing weight, how they were losing weight. If they, what they felt about their weight, they just got like this high five, like, Hey, way to go. Since last time you were in here, you've lost blah, 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 how many pounds, you know? And you're like, you know, that's a problem too. If we aren't even properly screening people on the other side of that, um, yeah. you know, and I don't, I don't want to make it equal because they, they don't have the social stigma that people in large bodies do, but in a clinical environment, if we're going to separate weight and health, which is the crux of health at every size. Absolutely. Like that is the singular, like bottom line message is weight and health are not the same thing. Then we, as the providers need to make a decision. Are we delivering weight care or health care? Okay. If our goal is to have our patients shrink and to promote weight loss and weight loss products and stuff, then you are allowed to do that, but then you need to be transparent that you are a weight care provider and not a health care provider. It's different. It's a different business, you know, it it, the, the yeah, thing that spent a lot of yeah. time talking about like the practical pieces of weighing, but at the end of the day, what we're really advocating for here is health care that is not primarily or largely based on weight being the driver or the metric or the most important piece of health. And, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning with most medical nutrition training, it really does. It's the first place that you start. So, yeah. so one of the things that you do is that you try and re-educate healthcare providers so that maybe the patients don't have to advocate as much so that maybe they can more easily find a provider who is aligned with these weight neutral goals. But that's a big task because like we talked about, it is <laughs> yeah. what everyone knows. So, so tell, so tell us what you're doing with that. How, how do you even, where do you even start? Like, I don't even know where I would start. Well, you know, I, you start with the very first thing. And I, what I want to do is 
create the education that I personally wished I would have had five or six years ago so that I didn't have to like piecemeal all these little bits together because the only reason I was able to do that, frankly, is because I wasn't actually working full time. I mean, just to be honest, if like mm-hmm. I said, if I was working 75, 80 hours a week, I would not have had the interest or the bandwidth to piece all those little bits together. And I would probably still be in a clinic somewhere today, handing out the food pyramid from 1970. Um, you know, truth. So, so I want to make it accessible even to working busy health professionals that are still actively practicing. And I think there's a couple of pieces, so it has to be accessible. So essentially I have a a course that it starts with, and then there's a community kind of that forms after you've participated in the course. But the other thing to recognize is this is not just doctors, all right? Just because I'm a doctor, I'm happy to educate other doctors, and I love working with doctors, but doctors alone are not the problem, and doctors alone are not going to be the solution. So being open-minded to every person who views themselves as a health professional, as a colleague, is like super important. So I work with, uh, you know, functional nutrition uh, what do they call practitioners and um, chiropractors and dietitians and physical therapists and clinical social workers and uh, people that you kind of would be more considered like peripheral healthcare mm-hmm. providers, I guess. Um, but we're all colleagues. We, if every touch point, it all it has to do with the the client or the patient believing that they're getting healthcare. Okay, it doesn't matter if if they are taking this information as health advice, whether that's coming from a licensed professional or a coach or whoever, like then that's important that we have that information, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, so I, you got to just get it in the right hands and make it accessible and palatable to people that are willing to change and easy like all we want, everybody wants everything to be easy. Isn't that like ease is like a goal of everybody's. That's like a, like a core value of like every human. So, um, yeah. And I just think that that's how it starts. It starts with one person even changing their mind. And you know what? The interesting part is the, even the patients and the clients, you telling them that you don't want to be weighed for your sinus infection and they say, okay, fine. You know what? You, you think it's just like good for you but you have planted that little seed. Like that may be the first time they've ever heard a patient like approach that, that may motivate that one nurse, that one doctor, that one dietitian to listen to a podcast or pick up an article or, you know, Google health at every size or whatever. Like it just, you could be part of the, everybody's part of the solution and it's going to take time. Yeah, it's going to take time. I mean, this is not, I'm under no guise, but if, if we get to a point where everybody is practicing health centered and not weight centered healthcare and I go out of business, then fantastic. I, I, there'll be plenty of jobs for me to go get, I'll go get another job. But you know, I, I hope we live in a world like that where this is like a historic diet cultures, like a footnote of history. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be cool. We'll yeah, it, and it's interesting because I think that for a lot of, I think it is a buzzword. I think that more and more healthcare practitioners and allied healthcare practitioners, you know, have heard of intuitive eating or anti-diet or, you know, dieting isn't cool anymore, whatever. They've heard that, but they still believe that it is the proxy for health. 
And so I think it's so important to be able to really undiet them. Well, yeah. Um, and their beliefs so that they actually feel confident in supporting someone who wants to pursue this. Well, sure. You know, and they also, it's not just not dieting. Um, yeah. So and they also, they, most of them realize, and I will tell you, I did too. I was, you know, promoting diet culture in clinical practice while all the while knowing that my, my, in my own personal life, I have been dieting for 20 years and it hasn't gotten me to any of the great health achievements that I thought it was going to. So, you know, the, the scientific evidence is there that dieting doesn't work, but honestly, every single person has the own anecdotal evidence that basically diet doesn't work either. So when you are able to recognize like, okay, maybe it's not just me, you know, maybe it's not just them, the other person in the exam room, like maybe there's something to this. That's the motivation yeah. to like sort of study the on a bigger scale, like why this is such a problem. That's so interesting. Cause I mean, you know, prior in the before times, which is what I call everything before, you know, COVID, if I was at, you know, a party or an event or kind of anything where I might encounter someone in primary care and they learned what I would do, the first thing would be like, what do you tell your patients for weight loss? My patients really struggle with it. And, you know, as I kind of got further along into this and I'd be like, well, it's that we're prescribing weight loss. That's the problem. And then you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, but there, there's got to be something that works, right? No, not permanently. That's why they keep coming back. It's why it never works permanently. Like it's part of the problem. And, you know, and it would just like, I could just see some people like eyes glaze over, check out, like they're like, yeah. oh, this is a crazy person. I'm not talking to this person. They don't know what they're talking about. But, you know, it, I think it really speaks to how ingrained the belief is that you yes. have to be a certain size or shape in order to be healthy. Oh, absolutely. And so, and I- yeah, they have evidence in their own practice that diets don't work. They know that. Yeah, but somehow, it, you know, if there was one answer, we'd be done talking about this by now. We would be over. Like we wouldn't, this whole thing wouldn't, there wouldn't be a conversation happening because it would be over. You know, but see, that's interesting. Yeah. The interesting, when you mentioned that, what just flashed through my mind, when I was like deep into diet culture as a, as a practicing physician, the first time I ever heard even the term health at every size, I think I saw something on social media. Okay, before I ever did any sort of scientific investigation and my gut reaction to it. The first time I saw it, I'll be honest, this is all, this is a very transparent to say this. I thought this is just a bunch of fat, angry people who don't want to do the work that I'm telling them to do. Yeah. Like that was my thought. And now I think Maggie, that is horrible. Like, but that was, uh, that is what I thought is like, no, there is no health at every size. There is no possibility of these very large people being healthy. You're just mad because you're not willing to do the work and get healthy like I'm telling you to do. You know, that yeah, was my thought. Absolutely. And then I just sort of ignored it for a long time. And then, you know, you know the rest of the story. But um, I think there are, there may be somebody listening to this podcast right this minute who's like, oh, that's what I think. No, I, guarantee, I can guarantee that there are like people, not even providers who are listening to this podcast who feel that way, because it is often what, like when people get to the point where they're, you know, ready to join one of my programs or work with me, 
they have often like they come to the table still with that belief like and you know but they also see that that belief isn't working for them anymore that they need to move past that but i think with a healthcare perspective because the system is supporting it the system is encouraging it the system is telling people that and, and providers like this is something that you need to manage as part of providing healthcare they don't see a way out of it they don't see how it can exist without it yeah. And you know what? I think it's frankly is malpractice. I mean, I think it very, it is towing the line of malpractice. And I think it would not take much for a very savvy, smart attorney to basically prove in court that this model of care is doing harm to people. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. I think uh, I, pe- people ask me all the time. They're like, well, if I change the way I practice and start doing this, aren't I going to get in trouble? I'm doing air quotes with with the Academy of Dietetics, with the Academy of Family Medicine or whatever, whoever they're, they perceive to be their higher authority is like, aren't I going to get in trouble? And I said, well, you know, frankly, I think we are at far more risk of getting in trouble if we knowingly go into every encounter giving advice that harms patients. Yeah. You know, and I think that may happen. Mark my words. If you're a smart attorney listening to this <laughs> podcast right now, call <laughs> in the next five minutes. <laughs> and I say all the time, it was, I can't remember the exact year. I want to say it was like 2016 or 17, but that I closed my practice to weight loss because I felt like it was no longer ethical to support people in any way where weight loss was the goal. Um, and I mean, I, I say this, I feel like all the time and it feels like it needs to be said that intuitive eating is not anti-weight loss. It's just, it's the pursuit of intentional weight loss where we get caught, where everyone gets caught. When we make that the goal, when we make that what everyone is focusing on, everything else gets lost. All of the other really important conversations around health, like your relationship with food and movement and actual health care and being able to access that health care, um, mm-hmm. you know, gets lost. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So you have this, um, what sounds like an amazing course for healthcare practitioners who are wanting to learn how to do things differently, right? My favorite right. saying, don't try harder. Um, try differently. So if, you know, if you're a healthcare provider and you feel like this is something that your patients want or that you want to do, how do they learn about this amazing program? Because I think I might want to join it just for fun. Yeah. Well, the first step, I have a free workshop, which is like the first step and anybody, I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes, but it is the first step is breaking up with the BMI essentially, because that we have this like BMI centric thinking. And we have to like uncouple that and break up with that idea before we can sort of engage any other uh, health at every size structure or whatever. So that's the starting point. Um, And um, I'm happy to talk to anybody. I have a podcast where I talk about this stuff all the time too. I just, I can't say it enough that I want to, I want to like shake the tree and change the culture. This is my, I am so super on fire about these issues because I want it to be different. I want it to feel different when I go to the doctor or the dietitian or the physical therapist or wherever I go. Like I just want people to feel welcome in healthcare, no matter what their body looks like or what their size is and that they can feel very certain they're getting healthcare when they go, you know, that's what it's all about. That's, that, that's it. So Yeah. Well, I would love, I would love to, um, yeah, talk to anybody who's interested, but that's the first thing. Break up with the BMI. I mean, just break yeah. up. 
Yeah. And your podcast is such a great resource. Um, and for everyone, not just kind of healthcare healthcare professionals, but I think anybody who is interested in the health conversations that, you know, are, are going beyond, you know, what we talk about with weight stigma and, and, you know, weight bias, but just really talking about like, how do we pursue weight neutral care and how do we, what does that look like? So, yeah. um, Yeah. So thank you so much. Um, I always ask my guests at the end of the podcast, what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? Oh, shoot. You didn't prep me for this one. The missing ingredient. Do I have to have found it by now or what? Man. Just, you know, what's something that is missing from the midlife experience? You know what? I I think we need to have a heck of a lot more self-compassion for how we got this far. Okay. I mean, by this time in our life, whether you're, you know, I don't know what midlife, can, what is midlife? 40, 50? What do you consider yeah. midlife? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just, in my head, it's like in your forties and fifties sort of, yeah. uh, maybe sixties even, I don't know. Depends on how long you plan on living, but you know, we have, we beat ourselves up about the things we're not doing. And a lot of times we forget to look back at like, look at all that we have done. Like, we have created families and businesses and homes and communities and all these things that we're always just like looking forward, like what's the next thing I need to do. And I think that it's very useful to stop and pause and be like, you know what, look what I've done so far. I mean, heck this is because, because the, really the truth is if you end up with an experience like I had where your mortality is sort of like right in your face, um, you're not going to be worried about what you haven't done yet. You're going to be worried about the people and communities and, and, you know, things that are surround you now. So yeah, a little compassion for it. It's, it's gratitude, but it's more than that. I think it for women, it's like not being critical of ourselves and just, Oh yeah. You know that. So that's, that's my ingredient. I hope that's good. Thank you so much for anybody who's looking for links. They will be in the show notes and uh, thank you so much for this conversation, Maggie. Well, thank you for inviting me, Jen. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Midlife Feast. You can find a link to my group program, Beyond the Scale, and anything else that I've got on the go in the show notes. You can also find a link to download my free Menopause Nutrition for Undieters guide, which includes some of my favorite recipes to help you implement gentle nutrition. And as always, come hang out with me on Instagram at menopause.nutritionist. It's where I love to connect with people who are in this stage of life and are looking to try different instead of harder.